0: Welcome to the School of Wellbeing podcast. I am your host, Meg Durham, wellbeing speaker, educator and coach. Together, we're going to explore lessons to help us live well. Let the learning begin. To kick things off, I will be sharing my story, where I have come from, what has sparked my love of wellbeing education and my hopes for this podcast moving forward. Sharing our stories is uncomfortable and hard, and yet it's real stories that inspire us all to move forward. So in order to share the stories of my guests, it's important that I share my story with you first. I will be discussing suicide in this conversation, and this may be unsettling or disturbing for some. Please remember to call Lifeline 13 11 14 if you'd like to process this a little further. So without any further ado, let's jump in to my story. If not now, when? So let's start at the beginning. Where did it all, where did it begin? I am the youngest of four, a role that I absolutely adore. I love being the youngest in my family. And I've often said that I won the parent lotto when I came into the world. My parents are an incredible example of what it is to be human in this world. Their behaviour, their thoughts always link up with being a person of integrity, people of courage and people of compassion. I am so grateful for my family. I have an older sister 10 years older and then an older brother nine years and then another sister four years so what was like life like for me growing up well I enjoyed my own company I loved to just play I would play for hours and hours and I would play schools I would be up there lining up all my teddies, lining them down, up for their afternoon rest, and I would say, fingers on lips, heads on pillows, is anyone spoiling it for us? So I just loved life. And I also had the privilege of having next-door neighbours who didn't have any grandchildren, didn't have any of their own children and had all the time in the world for me. So I would wander over next door to Margaret and Ted's house and they, as soon as I would get to the door and whistle out, Yoo-hoo, they would stop everything, put the kettle on and would have a good chat. So growing up, I had the support of my family and my neighbours and lived in a little bit of a bubble. It's fair to say that I really didn't um, know too much about the wider world growing up. And so as I went into primary school and secondary school, I had a really good experience. I loved being a part of school life. I loved everything that school life had to offer. The staff, I had some really good relationships with my teachers. I loved being a part of the musicals or the drama performances, sport. Sport was somewhere that I really just loved being a part of things. I was a solid student. Not the worst, but not the best. And that was pretty much everything that I did. I was just solid. I'd say I was a solid B at most things. I wasn't one to get many blue ribbons, but I was one that was always in everything. And in year eight, we had to do community service. And my community service happened to be over the road of our house at a nursing home. And I absolutely loved it. And at the end of the community service, the manager came up and said, Meg, would you like a job? I thought, I'd love a job. I was just about to turn that 14 and nine months, and I would love to get a job and some income. And she asked, have you ever used a washing machine before? I thought, no, I've never used a washing machine. She said, well, the job is in the laundry. So I worked in a laundry at the nursing home from year eight, and I actually didn't finish working at that nursing home until I finished university. And I learned so many lessons in my time there. And often I would say to my sister, gosh, I've got so many friends. And she would say, yes, and they're all over 70. Well, I tell you what, there we have a lot to learn from people that are older from us. So going through school, I really enjoyed it. And I didn't have much awareness of the idea of well-being. It wasn't something that was spoken about. Mental health wasn't on my radar. It wasn't something that was talked about until 2000. I remember in the year 2000, my sister was in year 12 and she got a phone call that changed the way that I think about life and just changed me in that moment. And that is when she received the call that one of her dear friends had died by suicide. Until that moment, I just didn't really think that what people were presenting, there was a difference what they feeling inside. I had no awareness about the idea of a mental life, this internal life that may be so different to what people see or understand. And I remember witnessing my sister and her friends in their grief. And I get a lump in my throat now just thinking about it. You know, I was in year nine witnessing the sadness, witnessing the loss. And also it just did not make sense. It did not make sense to me. I did not understand what was going on. And also, I remember witnessing people in the school, witnessing the teachers, witnessing parents, witnessing how quiet things became because there was not much language. People didn't know how to talk about this topic. You know, at home, we had some conversations. And I remember that mum had baked her, her famous cupcakes. And I remember sitting in the front seat and we took this load of cupcakes over to my sister's friend's house where they were all gathered and walking in thinking, wow, I just don't understand this, this depth of sadness when Year 12 is meant to be a year of so much joy with so much going on. And while I was there, I remember I was invited to put a handprint on the coffin. It was a white coffin and there was coloured handprints. And that was a formative experience for me because I remember thinking in that moment, I want to make sense of this. I want to make sense of this experience that people are experiencing because it does not make sense in this moment. So as I look back on my journey that was probably the first time in my life where I really stopped to think and I got curious. And as life happens, you just get busy and you keep moving forward. So as I moved forward, I began my teaching and I was so excited to be a teacher. I cannot tell you the night before my very first class. My very first class was Seven Silver and I was so excited. I had done my four years of study. I thought that I was ready. I'd watched Sir with Love, Dangerous Minds. I was ready to educate the future, to make a difference in young people's lives, and I was so excited. Stepping into my first classroom was such a thrill. And by the end of my first week, I was completely and utterly overwhelmed. I quickly realized that I knew my content, but I had no idea how to manage the world of 25 other humans and their parents and colleagues. I had no idea what I was doing. So that first year of teaching was just hang on, hang on and have afternoon sleeps and that will get me through the year. And that first year brought so many different experiences, such joy of seeing children grow and learn, come into a school as year seven and feeling really nervous and by the end of the year completely thriving and they've built up their confidence. But I also thought that, wow, this is hard. If this is what teaching in, this is hard work. And so I thought that maybe it wasn't the teaching, maybe it was the school. So towards the end of the year, I decided to finish at that school and move on to another school. So I thought it might be easier at another school. And so I was fortunate to get a job at a school that I refer to as Educational Disneyland because there was everything that opened and shut. All the resources you can possibly think of were there. We had a print room at the end of the day where the, you could get things printed and brought to your desk and even a place where you could get stationery. I thought, this is it. This is a school where it's going to be a little bit easier. It's not going to be as hard. And I'm sure you can kind of guess how this story goes. It was still hard because you're dealing with humans. And that is something that we're not really trained for. A moment in time that still sticks with me is after teaching a year eight class. It was a year eight science class. It was one of those classes where I thought I actually nailed it. And they're not the classes that you have very often. So it was a really good feeling. And a student asked if they could have a word to me. I thought, yep no problems, I'm happy to have a chat with you. And I also knew that I had to get to yard ER duty. So I thought, let, yep, let's walk and talk. And as I looked back again, I noticed in her eyes that what she had to share was not something that we could just do quickly. This student really needed to talk. She needed someone to listen to her. And so I worked things out, got Judy sorted, and we sat and spoke. And what this year eight student shared with me broke my heart. It shattered me inside to think that this young person is experiencing this. This young person that on the surface looks like they have it all. They're in an environment where it looks like you have it all. And this is what she's telling me. And it was another reminder about you can never judge a book by its cover. You never know what's going on in someone's internal life. Looks can be very deceiving. And in that moment, as she was sharing, all I wanted to do was sit and cry with her. I just wanted to cry with her for the heartbreak, for the sadness. And I didn't know what else to do. I hadn't been trained. When I spent my four years training to be a teacher, there was no talk about well-being, no talk about what to do when a student's falling apart or the human side of the role. And so what did I do? I did what my mum would do and mum would provide comfort, reassurance and then get the help required. So that's what I did in that moment. I provided comfort, reassurance and then got to support. But that was a moment that really shook me up because I remember thinking, this doesn't make sense. Why aren't we talking more about the real parts of life? And it's one of those things that once I noticed it in this student, she had the courage to let me in. I started to notice in lots of other students and in my colleagues colleagues who are going through tough times in their life they may be going through a divorce or they may have their first child and haven't had sleep for weeks or months other colleagues that are dealing with their parents and moving them into aged care so much is happening in our human side of life and I really wanted to know how I could do it better I just felt unskilled when it came to the well-being of the people that I was working with. And so that's when I decided to study. I went and did my master's in education in student well-being and that two-year program opened up my eyes to skills that we can all learn. There are teachable, learnable skills that we can practice daily to help us feel good and function better. It's not a matter of It'll be right. You've either got it or you're not. There's skills that we can learn. You know, I hope that in the future, well-being is taught just like literacy, numeracy, and science. That it's just another subject. This subject of learning how to be human, how to deal with the tough things in life, how to move forward with confidence. All of these skills that I think are so important. Because at the end of the day, When we go to bed at night and we're worried, generally it's about human issues. It's about relationships. It's not so much about the math, science and English. It's about the human side of life. And this is the area of life that we don't have much education in. It's an area that we can develop. And that's what started it all for me, to think that, wow, there are these skills that we can learn to help us feel good. And I want to share these skills. I want to share these skills with the students that I work with, with their parents, with my colleagues. I want to share these skills. And the challenge is that just because you know better, it doesn't always mean that you can do better or share more. Because myself, I was working so hard. I was working so hard to keep up with everything at school. I was a high performer. And I always wanted to do my best. And so the challenge is, is when you're working in wellbeing and you want to do your best, you give so much and sometimes you forget to take care of yourself. And so once I finished my studies at the end of 2011, I was unsure what to do next. You know, 2012 ended up being a pivotal year in my life because I had understood that well-being is a space that I work in, want to work in. But I also started to understand that there's challenges trying to do that work within schools when you're already working full-time and you've already got so much going on. It's hard to do something when you don't have the time and space to do it. Yes, I could make impacts in my own small way in my classroom, but there was very limited opportunity to make a bigger scale impact. And so that's really uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable to be in a position when you have these skills, you have these strategies, and yet there's no space for them. It feels like the conversation is not being had. And when you bring up the topic of well-being at that stage, for a lot of people, it's like, yeah, that's important. That's great, but not given the time, not given the energy, not given the space. And during this time, I was a bit unsure of what am I going to do next now I have these skills I want to use them I'm not in a position where I can have a large-scale impact I'm just not sure and if this is teaching if I can't do this side of teaching do I really want to do it and I remember going off to a psychologist because I was just really unsure and I wanted to know what's next I wanted to know And I remember this psychologist asking me within the first 10 minutes, Meg, who are you when you're not performing? Oh, it stung. Because I actually didn't know who I was when I wasn't always doing, when I wasn't always performing, wasn't always doing something next. You know, at this stage, I was teaching body pump in the morning going to school until it was dark, getting home, having some kind of dinner, and then just going again. And this question, who are you when you're not performing, really struck a chord with me. And it led me on this path to think, well, who am I? My work is really important. What I do is really important, but it's probably also important to figure out who I am when I'm not working, when I'm not performing and the universe has a funny way of really trying to get you certain messages because that year during the Easter holidays I went to visit my friend in country Queensland and a group of us were up there to go to the races to have a bit of a fun bit of fun and I was sort of in this period of like oh I just don't know what I want to do I thought I was going to be a teacher I thought I was going to be a principal and have an impact and do all these things but now I I've learnt these other skills and I'd love to be able to use them, but at the moment I'm not in a position where I can use them to the level that I want and I just don't know what I'm going to do next. And going up to this trip, now we're talking country Queensland, so west of Gundawindi for people who who know where that is. And I remember driving out there thinking, wow, I'm so glad that my friend is so happy here and loves living out here, but this is so far from anything. There is no chance that I'll ever live this far out. And on that holiday, I met John. Spoiler, my now husband. The reason that we met is because so many of my friends said, you guys would get on so well. You'd really, really like to hang out with him. And so the first time we had a really good Chat, he had driven past in the truck, and one of my friends said, Oh, Meg loves to have it go in the truck. How about you jump in? So we jump in, heading off to get a sample at Grain Corp done, and we started chatting. And we probably haven't stopped chatting since. It was that drive in the truck, I thought, Wow, here's somebody of complete substance who's willing to listen and have a conversation and wow this has really thrown a complete spanner in the works because here I am trying to really get my career going to really make an impact to get moving you know all these performing things and then I meet this guy who's just incredible and I remember flying back to Melbourne thinking well that was great but I live in Melbourne and nothing's really going to happen because i live in melbourne but we continued to chat i thought gosh this this guy's really the real deal but i was also having my own things going on you know i was trying to work out work what was my next step with work maybe it was to move away and to have a different experience to be able to use my skills to be able to take on a role where my skills would be valued and appreciated and i could use them but during this time, it actually happened to be a time when John had come down for a visit for a weekend. We were out having a good time at the local pub and I got a phone call. A phone call from one of my best mate's mum. Now, this friend of mine was living in New Zealand at the time. We had been to school together. We'd laugh together. We had lots of fun together, an absolute rock star. And her mum called that night to tell me that she had died by suicide. And it just shattered me to think that one of my friends, who had just months prior asked me to be her bridesmaid to her incredible You know, she was about to get married to an incredible man. Her life had ended. And it just really shook me to think, you know, 12 years on from the first time I had witnessed it, that now it's me and my friends I was the one to call my friends and let them know what had happened. And it's just heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking to deliver that news. It is heartbreaking to receive that news. And it is just devastating to see the ripple effect in the community, to see the pain the suffering, the questions, why, the ifs, if I had didn't done this, you know. This is 12 years on from when I'd first witnessed it in my friend and uh, my sister and her friends. And, yes, our awareness had improved. Yes, we I knew some skills and still we didn't have that much language. You know, it still doesn't make sense to think that people who are absolute rock stars, are not here. And after receiving that call, I remember John said, I will come with you to New Zealand. I will be there. We went to New Zealand and we had to say goodbye. Goodbye to a friend that we were not ready to say goodbye to. And in New Zealand, they have this beautiful tradition that you are able to say goodbye in person. And it was so nice, me and my girlfriends sitting around, being able to say goodbye to our dear friend Saskia. life is hard sometimes. You know, these are the moments in life that um, a cupcake and a cup of Milo don't, don't solve. These are the times in life where we need to have skills to be able to work through, to be able to support ourselves, to be able to support each other. And so that was a really big time in my life. You know, I'd experienced this 12 years before as a witness. Now it was me and my friends. And also this part of me is like more needs to be done and there are skills, there are strategies that can be taught, that we can learn, and why aren't we teaching them? Why aren't our students learning them? why aren't us as adults learning these skills so we can support ourselves and support others mental health is a community topic it is not up to the individual it is up to the community and the individual it's about the individual and the collective moving forward together with compassion with understanding You know, I feel like we've got to a point in our lives where we spend so much time in judgment and looking at people from a surface perspective, really shallow thinking. And I hope that this podcast opens up conversations of depth, of understanding, sharing human struggles and also human successes And that's what I feel that this COVID time has provided us, provided us with this space to move from this 2D model of everything's fine, everything's perfect, no problems here, to, well, not everything's fine. Some days are really hard, some days are tough. And these are the things that we're doing to move forward. So saying goodbye to Saskia really threw me. And that's when I decided. That I was going to have a 12 month break. I was going to leave Melbourne and have 12 months working in a completely new area where I didn't know anyone and I could have the opportunity to really integrate and use my wellbeing skills. And so I chose Toowoomba because um, my good friend and John were at Gundawindi and another. Good friend was in Brisbane. And so I thought, wow, Toowoomba's a spot. It looks like a pretty good spot. So I did a bit of a Google and I sent out some CVs with a cover letter. And I was fortunate that one of the schools got back to me. And I met um, the principal, Wendy Ashley Cooper, who you will hear from in this series. And that was a life changing moment. I got a job there. And it was 0.7, so for me to go from full-time to 0.7 was such a shock and it was such a blessing. For that 12 months, I had the opportunity to enjoy my classes, to enjoy being with the students. I had the time to prepare my lessons and I had the space within my health lessons and within the partial care program to use the skills that I had learned. It felt so good to be teaching the skills of well-being. I loved being able to do that in an explicit way and seeing the looks on the girls' faces when I would walk to class and like, miss, what's in that pink bag? Because they always knew that in the pink bag there was something. We were working on something, something interesting, something that really helped them understand their world and what they were going through. And that was an incredible 12 months. And at the end of that 12 months, I had made the decision that I was going to move out to be on the farm with John. And I was so lucky that Wendy had given me the all clear to write a wellbeing program for their students for years seven, eight and nine. So for that next year, that's what I worked on, an explicit wellbeing program for students that was taught weekly to help them navigate life. The ups, the downs, the challenges, the excitement, but the human experience. And it brought me so much joy to see this program come alive. And also I noticed the most enriching part of it for me was the teacher training, to train educators that deeply care about their students to become more skilled in the well-being space and to also give them permission to take care of themselves because when educators can take care of themselves, then they're in the headspace to be able to support others and that was such a joy putting that program together. But at the end of that 12 months on the farm, well, that was a whole other learning in itself. For anyone that has moved from city to country, it's a big transition. I remember sometimes we'd have an argument over the dishwasher which ended up with me saying, that's it, I've changed my whole life and I'm out of here. And I remember leaving thinking, I've got nowhere to go. I can't just go to the gym or go and have a wine with my friends. I've just got to deal with it. Like, I've just got to walk around this wheat paddock and then we've got to work it out. And so that's the gift of living in a rural area is that you have to work things out because there's no distractions, nowhere that you can go. And at the end of that time, I said, John, I love you, but I need to be closer to my family. Two flights is not close enough. I will go anywhere within five hours of Melbourne anywhere I don't care where just get me within five hours of Melbourne so I can pack up the car and go there for the weekend and I will be happy so John got a job within five hours of Melbourne right on five hours from Melbourne in a place called Colliambly so by this stage we're engaged and we moved to Colliambly we got married that year and the following year, we had our first son. And that was an incredible experience to become parents. And also hard. Woo! I had not thought about the idea of parenting beyond the birth. I just hadn't thought about it. I hadn't thought about how we were going to manage. To give you some idea of where we were, we were an hour from the supermarket, so an hour from the local Wool- Woolies. And our families were in Victoria and it was the two of us. You know, we were so lucky to have support from our families. But as far as that day-to-day day support, it was just the two of us. And that was hard yards because I really wanted to be out doing this wellbeing work. And that's really hard to do when you live in a rural rural spot with limited access to daycare and support. But we made it work and eventually we got our son into daycare two days a week and I started doing more work. By this stage, I was beyond the student wellbeing program. I was doing staff wellbeing workshops. I had done workshops in public schools, Catholic schools, uh, Islamic school, you name it. Like I'd had so many different experiences. I'd worked with schools, thousands of students down to a school where there was 12 students and at the teaching principal. And in that time, I got to see incredible educators. I got to see resilient students. And what I noticed is it does not matter what the cost of the school to go to or how prestigious it is. Every school has their issues. Every human that you come in contact with has their own unique struggles. In some schools, you'll be checking the lunchbox to make sure that there's food in there and that your students are eating. In another school, you're checking to see that they've got food in there. And if they don't, you're providing a sandwich and some fruit. Wherever you go, There you are. The humanness is always there. And this is what really interests me, is supporting the human side of life. And then we became pregnant with our second. We were so excited to be having our second. Our first was two years and he was full and busy and we were going to have our second. Now, this pregnancy was a complex one. I had contracted a virus in my first trimester of pregnancy and that made things complicated for us. That meant that every two weeks I would have to travel to Melbourne, so that's that five-hour trip, five hours one way, so 10-hour round trip, to get a scan to see how things were progressing. So that was a long nine months. And I just broke it down into just two weeks. If we can just work through this two weeks, we can deal with anything later, just two weeks at a time. Get the scan, go from there. And during this time, I used all the wellbeing knowledge I had to keep myself and my family afloat, to charge my battery. So that's sleep, food movement rest connection charge my battery so each two weeks we could just get through whatever life was going to throw at us and at the end of this experience we had a beautiful baby boy so we've got two beautiful healthy happy baby boys and our second son has a hearing loss And a hearing loss is very manageable, and we have so many services in Australia here that we can tap into and work with. The challenge was where we were located. For us, the closest Australian hearing that could help us was two and a half hours one way. And so that first year with testings at hospitals, going to hearing appointments, trying to navigate the NDIS and work it through. That was so exhausting. Throw a two-year-old in the mix and a lack of access to daycare, really, really hard. I was absolutely exhausted. And I got to a point where I thought, I can't do this. I can't have two young children living an hour from Woolies trying to do this, like the idea of doing my work in the world, that was parked for a while because we were just trying to get through. And I remember saying to John that I love you and I can't do this for much longer. I want to be in a space where I can be out in the world doing what I love. I want to be in a space where I can be supported, where we can have access to childcare so we can do things in the world. And I didn't know how John was going to react to that. You know, I had a fear that it may not be possible. And I just knew that I just had to have this conversation because at the end of the day, we need to listen. We need to listen to what our heart and our minds are telling us. We need to listen to those whispers and act on them. Because I knew for me that if I had stayed and trying to keep going, my well being would be non-existent. I wouldn't have the space to truly flourish in the world. And I thought we'd just go to the local town. And John said, how about we go to Geelong? <laughs> yeah, I thought, how about it? And so we moved to Geelong. We moved to Geelong in March of 2008. 2000- 20 two weeks before lockdown and I can tell you that lockdown has been challenging and also it has been a gift for me as far as my work because the well-being space has transformed so much in just 18 months more so than it has in my whole 10 years of working in this space I feel like now people are willing and ready to listen, to open up, to have conversations that matter, to put down the performance and lean into compassion, to understanding and understanding each other. And so that is my hope, that this podcast is an opportunity for you to feel understood for you to understand yourself, for you to understand better the people that are in your life and why they do what they do, and to remember that we are all doing the best we can with what we've got in the moment, and to cut ourselves some slack that at the end of the day, we're all human, and there are some skills we can learn, so that What I love to share is wellbeing education and the way that I define wellbeing education is it brings together the art and science of living well. I want to open up meaningful conversations. I want people to realise that they're not broken, that they're not doing it wrong, that being human is hard at times and we can keep moving forward. The way that we move forward is through sharing is through support, is through caring. And that's what this podcast is all about. You know, the people that are, who are going to be guests on these on this series are remarkable human beings. And they have so much to share with us, their wisdom, their experiences and their knowledge. It's all designed to help us moving forward. We're going to be sharing the lessons that we did not learn at school and I hope people will be learning at school in the future because at the end of the day, when it comes to wellbeing, good intentions are not enough. We need to step up and invest more in this space. You know, we've gone from wellbeing being a topic that's under the table to now on the table, but people don't know what to do with it because it's uncomfortable it's uncomfortable to start to look at topics that we've so long ignored run away from or suppressed and for me it's really hopeful because it's so exciting to see people realize their own strength because I feel that when you teach people how to be well when they can integrate these skills into their life that is power That is personal power, much more powerful than any job or any income. It's about having a power within, to have the confidence to be who you are, to show up in authentic ways, to show up in ways that matter to you, that bring life and energy to you and the people that you love. And this is what the School of Wellbeing is all about. It's time that we shared these lessons. If not now, when? Thank you for listening to my story. And to be honest, it's a relief to have this episode out of the way. I would love to hear from you. To connect with me, go to Instagram at MegDurham underscore underscore or Facebook MegDurham Wellbeing Educator or LinkedIn MegDurham. I love to connect with people that are passionate about bringing out the best in themselves and others. I would like to dedicate this episode in loving memory of Saskia Mary Herman, an absolute rock star who continues to shine her light on everybody that knew and loves her. Saskia, I love you, mate. This one is for you. Thank you for listening to an episode of the School of Wellbeing. This episode was proudly brought to you by Open Mind Education. Open Mind Education is committed to sharing well-being education that makes sense. To learn more, visit the website openmindeducation.com. There you can sign up for the free five-step energy guide to help boost your energy so you can better navigate the ups and downs of life. Thank you for listening and I look forward to sharing more lessons in the School of Wellbeing next week.